0: Welcome to Thrive with Trevor Huffman Podcast. Trevor will be sharing 20 years of his NBA, NCAA, and overseas basketball playing, training, and coaching experience to help basketball athletes, parents, and humans find their athletic edge and thrive. Thrive is a deep dive into the lives, routines, habits, and minds of the world's best mental performance coaches, leadership professors, pro basketball athletes, NBA and WNBA skill trainers, and thought-leading sports psychologists. Let Trevor help you find the edges of your comfort zone so you can thrive. All right, everybody. I'd like to welcome a great friend of mine, also a player that I coached in Europe, Riley the Chance from Brookfield, Wisconsin. Nobody knows where the heck that is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, about just outside of Milwaukee. It's actually, you know, when I tell people I'm from Wisconsin, they think it's all cornfields and stuff, but...
0: Do you guys have like a skyscraper in Brookfield?
1: No, no. Gosh, no. (laughs) But, you know, I'm about 20 minutes drive from Milwaukee, so... Fever. need something to do there's always stuff to do there
0: so okay do you are you close to, close to oshkosh that that like baby don't they make like baby clothes
1: yeah, yeah i'm like an hour from there
0: okay so. I, I always want to get up to oshkosh try on some bibs <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, probably plenty of that up there uh,
0: i want to get sponsored by them this podcast hopefully you can help me get that done riley
1: yeah i'll see what i can do
0: so Riley is just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you came from, where you, you know, where you played college ball. Just give yeah. people give people a little background, a little context on who you are, where you came from.
1: Yeah, so I grew up kind of in a basketball family. My dad walked on at uh, Marquette University and he was my coach growing up, growing up all the way through high school. He wasn't my high school coach, but he he coached me all through AAU and He was definitely the one who put the ball in my hands. And, you know, I'm obviously very grateful for that. And it's taken me a lot of great places. And so kind of, I've really been playing basketball ever since I can remember. And, you know, going to, you know, grew up going to Marquette games, grew up, you know, we had season tickets for the Bucks for a little while. And so basketball, I guess you can say has been, you know, in my blood or a part of my life for as far as I can remember.
0: For sure.
1: and yeah, then, I feel like
0: every every college basketball player, at least, like, you know, like, I'm just going to say this, white white college basketball players, I feel like their dads are always high school or college basketball players or coaches. Do you ever find that, like, to be yeah, true? Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. That's definitely like a stereotype, too, you know, like, yeah. high IQ, coach's son, like, something like that, that, that you get labeled as. Through For IQ sure. Your career,
0: so. And so you, <laughs> Your dad played at Marquette, and then was he a guard? was he a center like what did he do
1: yeah he was he he was a, he walked on at Marquette and he was a guard you know mostly a practice player and just like loved basketball and he he played for he actually played at a NAI school for two years and then you know walked he had a couple of buddies who played at Marquette so he'd be down there playing in the summer and uh, you know the coach saw him and asked him if he'd want to walk on and You know, he obviously jumped at the opportunity so Mm -hmm. he you know went from being one of the better players on a very small, you know, division three school to really never getting in the game. And, you know, so I think one thing I always learned from him is uh one of many things is uh, you know, you gotta be a a star in your role Mm. and you gotta, you know, you're not I, I promise and Definitely, one thing I've I've also learned along the way is at, at some point you're not, no matter who you are, you're not going to be the best player on your team, right? Mm-hmm. You know whether that's your freshman year of high school, your freshman year of college. You know when you get to overseas, when you get to the NBA, whoever you are, at some point, right, you got to learn how to play with uh, other people, learn how to play with other good players, learn how to make your teammates better, and learn how to be a good teammate. And you know that's definitely something I try. I've tried and strived to do, you know, pretty much my whole basketball career.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a good point. Like, I think a lot of kids that are the big fish in the small pond type mentality, you know, where they, Mm -hmm. they're always the best. And you know, what, what happens when you get faced with a little adversity, you know, what do you, what do you tell a kid? Like I always try to tell kids, you know, be so good people can't ignore you. But you know, that, that also happens when, you know, it happens to be that you might not be the best player. So, do you stop trying to be so good? Do you, you know, has there ever been a, a time where, you know, you had, you know, you were the best player. You went now into high school, or into college to Vanderbilt. You became a Commodore. You know, and did you? But you didn't play for Jerry Stackhouse, did you?
1: Nope, I played oh. two years for Kevin Stallings, then two years for Bryce Drew.
0: Okay, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit. But you know, when you when you went into a high major program. You know, you're going from... Now, everybody out there, I know Riley really well, coached him all year. I th- think I saw you dunk it maybe one to three times on the layup line. You're not like a high... <laughs> you're not... A, you wouldn't be known as like a um, high flyer.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. But um, I... But your skill set, like, I, you know, you're like... Uh, you know, you can shoot from anywhere. You got great footwork. So creative in your package, your finishes, your footwork pack, you know, like creating space and it's just such an interesting study to me because like I look at you you know you, people might look at you and say okay he's he's 6-1 he can't dunk all right I'm just going to I'm just going to lock this guy up you know and I I've seen you go go for 30 25 you know have amazing games and like how did you start to even keep working on your game you know and your footwork and your dribbling as you went into not being the best player? How did you stay focused on that progress?
1: Yeah, so I think for, like, me, it was always, like, I'm never going to be, kind of like you said, you know, I'm never going to be the guy who's going to be blowing by people and going and finishing over people at their rim. And I realized that early, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I had to focus on and work on things that will directly translate to a game, right? And it's a lot of, like you said, footwork, a lot of angles, a lot of, like, when you, like, you got to play with your defender or the, or the, you know, if you're, a ball, a ball screen is being set for you, mm-hmm. you got to play with the big guy showing, you got to play with his timing mm-hmm. or you got to play with your own defender's timing. And you got to be able to, when you finally do get that space, right. And, you know, maybe the footwork's a little different on, on this shot mm-hmm. or, um, and you got, you got to be able to knock it down when you finally do get that space. So for me, it was working on a lot of simple stuff to start, right. I think one of my coaches in college, like when when I first got there, you know, there definitely was a little adjustment period for me when I got I got there in the summer. Like, I felt like I was, you know, like the worst player on the team. Like, I got there a little later than everybody else because of mm-hmm. high school graduation, and you know, I I remember him telling me, like, you know, obviously we work on all this stuff, we work on all the dribble moves, uh, the the one on one moves and stuff. Like, at the end of the day, like once you get in the game the most effective stuff is going to be the simple stuff, the jabs, the shot fakes, the attacking closeouts, like, Mm -hmm. you know, playing off angles, playing off screens at the end of the day. Like for me personally, that's, what's going to be most effective. So I think like, obviously, yes, you work on stuff and you always try to expand your game and you know, you try to, especially once, you know, you reach the college level, right? You got to be able to get a shot at the end of the shot clock and then, once you get to the pro level, that shot clock shrinks even more. So again, you got to be able to get, you got to get even better at it. So, um, but you know, it's more so what can you do in that first 20 seconds of the shot clock? You know, how can you play within the offense? How can you, you know, like I said, make your teammates better, let the game come to you and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And do you think, you know, as you progressed, do you, do you feel like not being the best player motivated you? Do you feel like it was, you had, I mean, I, you know, I can, I can talk about my, my experience at Kent state. I wasn't I I wasn't a big time recruit like you. I didn't, nobody, nobody was coming up to Petoskey, Michigan, like they right. were Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Riley. So <laughs> like I had to go, you know, walk on, try out. And then they offered me a scholarship a week before school started, but I was so excited. But then that excitement quickly fades when you realize you are the worst player on your, in your program. Like, the walk-on, you know, senior walk-on dunked on me in a fast break, and I was like, "I'm, I'm done." I'm, you know, like there's a part yeah. of me that's just like, I can't feel my legs. I'm yeah. working out. We have study hall after, you know, at eight p.m. You know, this is a, this is like a twelve-hour day for me, you know. And I was just yeah. like, I- I'm not prepared for this. And how, can you talk like how you personally kind of grew your resilience or mental toughness and got through that, you know, that that period?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely. It even started for me like in high school. Like I was, you know, I didn't have, you know, going into my, I, I always, you know, I was on a really good AAU team and, you know, we always competed in the top tournaments and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I didn't have, I've had like three or four, I think like what, five offers. What AAU
0: team was it? If you don't mind me asking I didn't, yeah, I was, Yeah. I'm so old. I didn't play AAU. Yeah.
1: We, we were called uh, Ray Allen Select. We were sponsored by Ray Allen and my dad through a, a mutual friend. Who was also his name was Tony Smith. He was an All American at Marquette and played in the NBA for eight or nine years. And so he got to know Ray when they played on the Bucks together. And my dad and Ray kind of became golfing buddies. And so, you know, once we got to fourth or fifth grade, they he asked him to sponsor us and he uh, jumped at the opportunity. So mm-hmm. we took our Ray Allen team from fourth grade all the way through, you know, our last season of AAU going into senior year of high school. So that, that was an awesome experience. But, but even then, you know, like I said, we, we traveled a lot and we played in some big tournaments and I, I felt like I was playing well, you know, getting some interest from, you know, some colleges, you know, whatever it was freshman or sophomore year. And I, I see kids around me who, you know, either I think I'm better than, or who, you know, I, I have played well against, you know, getting these offers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, and me, I wasn't, you know. I had going into my junior year, I had I think three or four, and before that, it was zero. And I, you know, a bunch of kids around me, and my, eight, and even in my, you know, in Milwaukee around the area, they were kids who I believed I was better than personally. You know, getting a ton of offers and stuff. So it, that was definitely discouraging to start. And I think that kind of started the whole resilient mentality, and just made me want to work harder and and be able to prove myself. And once I did get that opportunity, I wanted to be able to make the most of it. So yeah. once I, you know, so then I did get recognized and had some, you know, big schools reach out and I ended up going to Vanderbilt.
0: Hey, basketball parents, coaches, and athletes. One of my favorite adapted quotes is we do not rise to the level of our basketball goals, but rather we fall to the level of our basketball training system." Why do I say that? Well, I want to help all your basketball athletes, kids, or players figure out how to chase their basketball dreams in a smart, systematic way. So I'm offering my live online basketball training community today and get a free week of virtual home basketball workouts streamed into your garage, your living room, your basement, your driveway, and you get to work out with the pros. All right, we do this every week, and for the first time, your kids will have direct access. to me, sports performance trainers, other pro coaches for as little as $25 a month. If you're interested, please visit trevorhuffman.com or text me, quote, Huffman Club with your full name at 810-771-8622. Again, that's 810-771-8622. Why did you choose Vanderbilt out of... I mean, what other schools were, were on your recruiting, recruiting you?
1: Yeah. So I had like, my final four was uh, Vanderbilt, Creighton, Iowa, and Minnesota. And then, you know, I was looking at like Baylor, Xavier, Indiana a little bit. So I, but the reason I ended up going there was I, I, when I visited there, I I obviously had a really good visit and I I felt I meshed well and, and got along well with the current players. And I thought we had a, Chance to be good in the future, and and I felt like the combination of ac- academics and athletics was was um, too good to pass up, and mm. uh, a, a really good fit for me. So you know, I, I was I, I very happy with that decision. And then you know, but quickly you learn, kind of transitioning from high school to to college. Once that senior season ends. You quickly learn that you're kind of back at the the bottom of the totem pole, right? Like, yeah, nobody cares. Once you get to college, nobody cares how many points you scored. Nobody cares how many games you won, right? They, because like, kind of like we talked about, like coming into college, everybody's the best from where they're from, right? So mm-hmm. you quickly learn that you're back at the bottom of the totem pole. And I, I, I did have a, you know, I felt like I had a tough first summer, and luckily things turned around pretty quick, but. You know, I, going into, like, practice starting in the fall, you know, I felt like I was a lot more comfortable. And, you know, I think you see it, like, even for guys who end up being top 10 picks, right? Like, sometimes they're, they're – they're, the adjustment period is different for everybody. The You know, like, you'll see some guys struggle the whole first semester, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe they go home for Christmas and come back and they just get a little rejuvenated and they're a different player. You know, so for me, it, it started to click around, you know, started fall practice my freshman year and, and obviously I had a, uh, a a good freshman year. And mm. uh, that so I'd say the resilience started in high school to, to answer your question. That was a long winded answer, but you know, <laughs> started in high school. But, you yeah. know, it, it kind of has to be a thing that you go back to and re-up on, you know, every every couple of years.
0: Yeah it's it's a good it's a good lesson i think any even as a pro you know you you yeah. can you can i just look at my career going into different countries and you know different experiences like your your first experience you played in poland which i talked to you you know when you were coming out of poland which i i also played in poland so i knew had some empathy there i knew yeah. it's a difficult country to play in especially if you don't have you know it's your first year there's nothing that resembles America, you know, in Poland, right. or at least the countries I, or the cities I lived in. So it can be very isolating, you know. And just from that, I mean, you're talking about that's a new form of resilience, you know. It's a cultural, sure. mental game. Now, can, what can you do to stay happy, stay positive, not get depressed? You know, I gained like 25 pounds eating, you know, these little... Prince cookies I, you know any anybody that lives in Europe knows about the prince cookies and uh, no so how did you know that resilience as you got into the pros do you feel like you had to revisit it or do you think do you think resilience becomes part of your character is it something you have to continue continually test you know even as you get older are you are you going to try to put yourself in situations that make you tougher and make you compete or make you grow like what's your what do you think about resilience going forward
1: yeah, I think uh, to answer your question, I feel like, it, kind of like you said, that it, the resilience gets tested in a completely different and new way once, once you get off that plane and you're in a different country for the first time and you realize there's really no sign of going back anytime soon, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, like you said, like I, I did not particularly love my experience in Poland and I... Really feel like I that that resilience got tested every single day, right? Like you see, you know, you know, and and I think we see like the technology almost today as a blessing and a curse. Like obviously, you can call your family and friends and Facetime Mm -hmm. and look and look at them and you know see what they're doing, catch up with them. But at the same time, like with all the social media stuff, like you're able to see when all your friends are together. You're able to see when like you're missing out on family gatherings and like when your family's doing stuff that, you know, obviously you'd love to be there. Right. So that was hard for me, something to get used to. Right. While I'm yeah. away. I'm pretty much the other side of the earth and, and all my friends or all my family are together and not, and not only am I not able to like, I'm also seven hours ahead. So can't really, it's hard to join in on anything over the phone. And, um, so I think that was a whole new something, a whole new thing that was tested for me. And then, you know, overseas, it's just because, you know, you have a bad game in a lot of situations you are you don't play again for another week, right? In college, you got a bad game Tuesday, you turn right around on Saturday, and you're back at it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you, so you have a chance to redeem yourself. You feel confident. But sometimes, you know, even in our situation this year, we had a couple of times when we had three weeks in between games, right? So Beautiful. you have That's a so bad brutal. game. You have a bad game, and that bad taste in your and while you're over there, you have that bad taste in your mouth, and you're by yourself for three weeks. All you're thinking about is that last bad game you had. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely something like the the whole mental part of it w- was definitely a test for me. And that first year, I I almost every day like wanted to to get up and leave and go home, and I, I was proud of myself of sticking it out, and yeah, being able to you know, get out of it and, and find, head back to Europe for a second year and, you mm-hmm. know, have to have a much better season, much better experience.
0: Yeah. No, that's so true. Cause I think, you know, and, and you never know when those experiences are going to happen in Europe, you know, like, and yep. I always tell guys, if you find a, if you find a country that you like and you can build a reputation there, or, you know, you can move into a country that has a little bit more familiar field to the United States, but more people speak English or you create, you know, new networks of friends, you know, that's worth yeah. something to me. That's a value. You know, that's why I liked playing in Belgium and had a great time playing in the South of France. So just, the lifestyle was so great you could enjoy yourself a little bit and then and then basketball becomes so much easier you know when you're happy i always say a happy basketball player is is a, is usually playing pretty good basketball you know and, yeah. and like you said if you sit out 3 weeks and after a loss like we did you know i had some pretty bad 1 point losses this year and then we'd have 3 weeks off before the next game it was miserable i w- you know i yeah. wanted to, i was in that same boat this year like man ugh, what if this was the NBA, I would be getting so much more experience, you know, or college where I'm coaching and preparing and just going to the next game. And I, I think that's part of resilience. You know, you just got to go to the next day, the next, the next practice, you just got to keep moving forward. Yep. Um, And that's hard when you're, when you're struggling mentally.
1: For sure. And I think you, you learn to find like those little small victories, right? You, you, obviously over, over there, we, we practice a lot more than we play. Mm-hmm. So you you learn to value and you learn to, you know, obviously it, it becomes a long season, but you learn to enjoy practice a little more. You learn to enjoy competing every day a little more mm-hmm. um, than you necessarily would if, you know, you're playing some more games. So I, I think you, for me in my second year, I tried to find those small victories and those, even like the little things to keep you going day to day or to get your mind off of you know, a bad game or being lonely or whatever it may be, you know, for me, like this year was just going into the city by myself a lot of the time and just walking around and, you know, getting a coffee at some different places and mm-hmm. just, just something as simple as getting out of the house and seeing a different scenery for a couple hours. So you learn to, to find things that, that make you happy and, and, and that help you keep going.
0: Yeah. What, if you had to just say like kind of one thing you truly believe in, like in about yourself, when you walk into the gym, like as a, you know, I, I always thought you, you know, you worked hard, you, you, you brought it in practice, even the skill development workouts, you know, which I think are, are a great opportunity for kids and, and players to, to coaches to do, to get better, you know, and I always thought like you, you know, you always, you always competed in all the, and those drills and like, what would you tell a kid who's like, man, what do I got to do this crap for? You know, like, what's? Yeah, I just want to play. You know, because in America we have AAU and all we do is play. Yeah, you know? and and I think on the other end, I like how Europe does just focus on the technical and the theory and the and the you know you're getting ball screens and repetitions yeah. all the time and
1: yeah. So I, I mean, a very simple answer is like, you know, if you're there and you're in the gym, right, you might as well get something out of it, right? You might as well. You know, no matter how dumb you think the drill is or how, you know, if you think you're above the drill, one, you're usually not. Like there's something you can work on in that drill to get better. Mm -hmm. And two, like, you know, you hear guys all the time, like, you know, I'm in the gym for five hours a day, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but what are you doing for five hours? Are you, you know, you could be in the gym for two hours instead of that five. Yep. and the guy who's in the gym for two hours could be grinding working his butt off getting ten times more out of that half the time mm-hmm. than the guy who's in there for five hours taking five shots you know looking at his phone you know you know doing whatever dunks and all that stuff like I think the most important thing to me is like what are you gonna get done while you're in the gym like mm-hmm. if you have a focused plan of what you want to work on what you want to improve, what you want to get better at, then, you know, that is more valuable than staying in a gym for six hours and, you know, yeah. just screwing around and not yeah. having a focused, detailed plan.
0: Yeah. And I think let's just go right into that because I think I work a lot with, you know, I talked to Matt, same thing, you know, even as you get older, it, this is always the case. And, 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 my opinion is that your system is so much more important than your goals, you know what are you doing? what are you, what's your intention to progress at today? you know Are you getting from point A to point B today this week, this month? Are you becoming can you make 10 threes off the dribble you know in a row? Right. And you, you know, can you do you know that's why I like to do shooting stuff timed and, and, and you know, or competitive where you know you can't miss two shots in a row or I really feel like going in into your system and your structure as a player, as a coach, uh, w- whether it's a workout or a practice plan is so important t- t- like walk people through what your daily routine is and then break that into like a weekly routine and just kind of give us the over the micro and the macro here. Yeah.
1: So like I usually get up and, you know, I, it's obviously with COVID, it's been a little different and the routine has been different and adjusted and it's a little different, you know, each even day to day it adjusts, right? But, you know, I try to get up as far as summer, like get up and lift. And then right after lift, try to get some shots up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then afternoon, go back for a more, you know, more skill focused workout rather than just getting shots up, Mm -hmm. you know, work on the all around game. And then obviously, really, that's what I try to do. I I try to lift and shots in the morning and then, you know, more skill focused.
0: Um, your skill-focused stuff, like take us through like an example of like minute one through minute 60. Like are you coming in doing some ball handling, dribbling, two ball, one ball, zigzag? Like walk me through yeah.
1: that. So I, I'd say, I, yeah, definitely usually start with ball handling. And most of my stuff is like I try to do one ball. I, for me, I feel like that's more, you know, game-focused. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people I know are really good at two ball. And then, you know, in the game, they're not as efficient with their dribbles or whatever it may be and then some people i know like can't do two balls to save their life and in the game like you're not you know i, I heard a story about travis diener like you know like he couldn't even drill barely dribble two balls at the same time mm. and and this was somebody told me one time but like in the game you're not taking that thing from him right like yeah, right so i think for everybody it's a little bit different like for me i like focusing on the one ball stuff a little more, a little more game, game-like. And then from there, like going to, you know, some finishes like around the rim, working on different finishes. And then that's usually the, the start. And then the middle gets, you know, a little different from day to day, whether it's working on ball screens uh, stuff one day, next day, maybe it'll be like shooting off screens, playing more off the ball or like making ball screen reads. So then like the middle gets a little more focused, I would say, Mm -hmm. and then on like certain actions and, and certain reads. And then at the end, you usually try to end with some more shots. And then, you know, usually we try to play with, you know, the group of guys we work out with, we try to do some live with our, whether it be one-on-one, two-on-two, or even like semi one-on-one where it's like, you got to read your defender off the ball screen or something like that. So... That's
0: good. That's, so do you have a trainer? Are you working out with a trainer every week, every day, or just once in a while?
1: Yeah, every week we've been we've we're we've we've been in the gym with a trainer, so it's been it's been good.
0: I like that. I like that. I I've been doing a lot of that stuff here in Michigan, just with some you know some young high school kids and trying to plug them in with pro players. I had this argument, and we can we can debate this. Why do why does the NBA have so many? white European players, but not many white American players. Why do you think that is?
1: I don't know. I I would say it has to be like skill development at at the start, right? Mm Because you look at even like, I would say the European game has turned, the the, the NBA game has turned a lot into the European game with how much pick and roll they run and how much, you know, different types of, you know, there's so many different types of ball screens and so many different types of actions Mm -hmm. that, You know, these kids, like you look at Luka Doncic, I I was telling somebody, like, people didn't realize just how insane it was for him to be the EuroLeague MVP at 18 years old. Just from a physical, like, you know, he's playing against 29 to 33-year-old grown men who have NBA experience, and he was the MVP of that, right? So just from that... Like standpoint alone, like take away basketball from a maturity, IQ, and like physicality standpoint, that's insanely impressive, right? Yeah. And then obviously the basketball is whole, completely different. Like he was dominating in that aspect too. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of you know system stuff, and you know they kind of like you said earlier, like you know they're not playing. They're not. They're, this AU isn't a thing over there, so they're not playing. Eight games, seven games in a weekend, right? They're mm-hmm. playing one, maybe two, and the rest is all skill work and, and and different stuff. And and I think you know, there's there's pros and cons to both approaches, and you know, you probably find somewhere in the middle is is the best, like most things. But yep. I, I think you know, that's that's part of it for sure. Yeah,
0: well, I I would agree. I mean, I think you take a guy like Luka donicic you know, in Europe you're 14, 15, you're playing, like you said, he's 16, 17. He's playing with 35-year-old men. You know, he's getting right. a, he's getting that experience with pros at an earlier age, which is across the board, like even with us this year, you know, all our youth players in Belgium and, and, and in the club are playing with the pros. Now, do they get yeah. to play in the games? Not always. But guess what? If you were 16, Riley, and you got to play you know, on the pro team when you were sixteen, seventeen, you, it would be a completely different story for you when you yeah. t- when you get out of college. You know, as opposed to you, you know, you're kind of forced to play your age bracket in the United States. You're forced; everybody is. And, you know, I think that is like one of the reasons why you know the playground and the inner. I think inner cities do better at basketball because they play all ages. You know, and when I used to go to the park in Flint. Like I was playing thirty-two-year-old men when I was twelve. You know, my dad would just go drop me off in Flint after church, right. and my penny loafers on, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I I should not be here." You know, but you know, you really figure out like playing against older, better players is is across the board is really good for your game if you can if you can focus on that as a as a general rule. And I think that's why we see more European players, you know, because they just they just get that experience playing against. Older guys more often, and
1: yeah, for sure, and I think it even goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like you can from that young age right they're learning they're learning how to kind of get in where they fit in like mm. like okay, this is what I need to do to get on the court, or this is what I need to do to prove myself to this coach, and they're learning how to star in their role, yeah. and obviously like because once you can star in your role, that's when your role starts to expand, right so Mm -hmm. I think from part of AAU is, you know, there's, you know, and obviously AAU is really, really good to me. And we had a a really good program, which was unlike a lot of different programs. But, you know, you see like a lot of in in the I guess in the U.S. basketball culture. Right. If you're not that top player on your team, you don't like you're kind of seen as okay, well, basketball is just going to be a temporary thing for you. Like Mm. you're not gonna, you know, if you're not, you know, one, two, or even three on your team, like, okay, like, you know, maybe play in high school and then, you know, maybe that's probably it. Right. So as a young kid growing up in Europe, like, like you said, like every day they're playing with guys where they are maybe nine, 10, 11 on the totem pole, but they're learning how to play with other players, how to be a good teammate, how to fit in in their role and they're learning and seeing how like to make one to be good in their role but how to expand that role too. Yeah. So, I think there's just a different mindset and a different I guess two two very different ways about going about things.
0: 100%. And I and I think that playground aspect is something, you know, we've lost and you know, a lot of yeah, uh, sure. at least, you know, where I grew up and uh predominantly white northern michigan like uh, i can guarantee you nobody's out at the playground playing <laughs> any any yeah. di- any day during the summer like you you know and then when i was around you know in my er- you know my era like i'm 41 now so we didn't have instagram and and fortnite you know, we didn't have all, we didn't right. we didn't have all we didn't have social media we didn't we didn't have trainers like so i got to play a little bit you know i felt like it helped me to play you know especially when I was down in Flint, or, or, you know, different areas of the state that had a little bit more competitiveness and and more athletic players and better players all around. Just, you know, the creativity of the playground is, is, is immeasurable for a player. So I think, you know, we've kind of lost that for, you know, in in a sense, but yeah, it's a really interesting debate. I think just to, you know, like go, go into your coaching, your coaches, like what, what coaches have you loved? Uh, you don't have to talk. I know Riley; I was a great coach, first year coach. Don't I don't want you to talk about how bad I was. I want you to talk about. <laughs> I want you to talk about like college coaches, what you've taken from them, what they've taught you, things that stuck with you.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, actually, I would start with kind of just going back to real quick. What we were talking about was, you know, I think, like I said, in AU, like we had a real good program, right? So we were. You know, winning a lot of these tournaments, winning some of them easily, especially when we were younger and they were more local. Mm -hmm. But what my dad would always do as a coach is he would, you know, the next tournament, you know, after maybe we won some, we'd go play ups, up a grade or up two grades somewhere. And, you know, that learned that that'll humble you real quick. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of goes back to, you know, kind of like you were talking about, you know, playing at the playground. And I guess that was kind of our version of that from time to time was, you know. Going to play up and that humbles you real quick and and kind of goes back to that whole resilience thing we were talking about. But yeah, so like I said in college, I played for Coach Stallings and then Coach Drew. They had two very very different styles, Coach and, and you know I got a lot of respect for both of them. And Coach Stallings was a lot more intense, a lot more aggressive, and you know get up in your face type stuff, which is kind of how my dad was growing up too. My, my dad played for. Kevin O'Neal, who who was a very intense coach, and Mm -hmm. so that's where he got his his coaching style from. And so, you know, coming into college with Coach Stallings being the same way, I I was kind of used to it. And you know, there was there wasn't a lot he could say to me that I hadn't heard before. So he, you know, he he was a extremely smart offensive mind. I learned a lot, like you know about. You know, offense and defense, and you know, how to. I think one thing I'll always take away from him is just how our offense so much relied on taking what the defense gave you. Like, we had a a, a look for every which way the defense could play and a counter if they did it this way. Right. So, you know, going back and, you know, from time to time, I'll go back and watch that film or whatever and, you know, just seeing how if the defense was playing this way, he knew he instantly knew what to call and that we're getting us an open shot, right? So I think that was, was something I definitely took away from him is, you know, learning how to play and how to coach against the way the team is playing defense. And, you know, Coach Drew was a little different story. He was a little more laid back. But, you know, he, he he'll still definitely get up in you and and, you know, if we were in the wrong, you know, you know, same, you know, Coach Drew just wasn't as much of a yeller, I guess you could say, and so two two different ways about going about it. But and Coach Drew's, I guess, offense philosophy was a little more free flown as well, where we, you know, if one action broke down, we'd go instead of you know going into it the next action, we'd more so go into you know a more dribble drive type situation. So yeah, two 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 very different styles, both you know on and off the court, I'd say. Which for me flourish in
0: both? Was it easy for you to flourish because of your skill set in either?
1: Yeah, so I mean, first year my first year with Coach Stallings, I had a really good year. I for freshman, I led the conference in scoring for freshman. I you know, like twelve or thirteen points a game and I had a really good year. And then my second year, my sophomore year, which ended up being his last year there, I had a really, really, really down year. Like I think I averaged like six points or something and Mm -hmm. so You know, I, I, at times, yeah, I definitely did well in both systems. And I think coach drew one thing I, I learned from him is he wasn't, you know, we, when he came in my junior year, we, we went straight into, you know, the offense he ran at his previous school and the offense he had kind of run his whole career. And we started off pretty bad and he quickly realized that that offense didn't, Didn't work well for our, our personnel. Mm -hmm. And he switched it up and went to more similar to the offense that we were running with Coach Stallings. And, you know, with a little twists here and there and a little bit of his style here and there. So one thing I definitely took away from him is, is being able to adapt. And, you know, let's say kind of like I said, like you run one offense your whole career, you come into a new situation that might not be what's best for the, the personnel and the players you have. So you kind of got to adapt to what you have and and same as a player, right? You got to learn how to, how to score in different ways. You got to learn how to pick your spots. And like my junior year, I was, you know, starting point guard and and we came back to, like I said, we started bad and came back to make NCAA tournament. But, you know, that year, my, my goal was more on, you know, we had a lot of scorers around us and a lot of guys who could make shots and, we had a guy who's playing in the NBA now, and
0: mm-hmm. who, uh, who, we're, who are some know, of those guys?
1: Yeah, like full well, that year was Luke Cornett. And he, so now he's with the Bulls, and you know, so my, you know, and Matthew Fisher Davis would make shots, and you know, we had five or six guys who could really make shots. So I was, you know, obviously I still wanted to be aggressive, still so want to attack, but first and foremost, like I got to make sure we're running the right stuff. I got to make sure we're, those guys are getting looks, yeah. or else one, it makes it a lot harder for me to score. And two, like our, our team isn't gonna be as good as off as good off. So, so and then switching to my senior year it was more so, Okay, now I gotta score a lot more and it was just a different mentality. So I think being able to adapt to the system you're in, as a player, being able to adapt to the system you're in, learn where to pick your spots and being able to adapt to the guys who are on your team and knowing how to be able to let them flourish, and also yourself, you know, be be good in your role as well. It's yeah.
0: huge. What's uh some weird stuff that's ever happened to you? Like coaches, Europe, you know, there's so many funny stories out there for guys. Like Matt McQuaid had a funny one, and <laughs> with Tom Izzo, and just got me laughing. Do you have any any hilarious stories? Anything I even did? I mean, let's you can throw me under the bus, dude. Go ahead. <laughs> I, well, I I'm no longer Okapi's coach. They got me to a, I got to a Final Four, and and uh, they got me out of there. And they said, "No, Trevor, you will not coach in the Final Four. We will yeah, move was- you. Uh, we will move you out of the Final Four. And I was like, "Wait, how about after that? You know?" Yeah, like, that o- was that perplexed. was
1: crazy. in itself. I I think we were all a little confused by that one, but <laughs> and uh, I would say like my first year overseas, I just. You know, I felt obviously it's a huge adjustment for everybody and it was a huge adjustment for me, too. And, you know, my coach, for some reason, didn't like love me or, or like me. And mm-hmm. um, I, I never really got to an answer why. You know, one game I'd play uh, one game I'd play a lot. And by a lot, I mean, you know, 22, 23 minutes.
0: <laughs> and by a lot, I mean 18 minutes.
1: Yeah, right. And, you know, I'd have whatever, 19, 20 points. And the next game, for some reason, I'd play five or six, five or six minutes in the first half and then come out and not go back in the rest of the game. Right. So I was dealing with that all year, super frustrating. Cause for me, most of my high school and college career outside of a small stretch, like I was playing 30 to 35 minutes a game. Right. Yep. So, especially like my last year, my senior year, I was playing 35 plus most games so i coming off that and then going to 22 was an adjustment but then the next game going to six minutes was really 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 an adjustment so that was happening and then i remember i had one game and we were we weren't very good we had a bunch of reasons why but yeah we we had a good game i think i had like 27 points or something and the president or vice president came out and was you know he had had some drinks and he came up to me and you know didn't speak the best english and said he said oh you were best player on team tonight and then he said but sometimes you worst player he said why he said why are you why are you worst player and i was like one of my teammates was standing next to me and i was like i was like i i, I really don't know how to answer that my i'm a man and he, he just kept asking me, why why are you worst player? And in my mind, I'm thinking like, dude, I just had like 27 points and we won. Yeah. Why are you asking me this right now? And I just kind of said, I don't know, and walked away. Oh and that God. was a, a little bit of a taste of like, you know, some things overseas are just are just really different.
0: They don't make any sense. Right, right. Oh, um, man. Yeah, that's uh, I got paid out of a appliance store in cash in in Poland and they would bring me back there with the head coach who didn't speak English and uh, they had a translator there and they bring me back. And I was like, man, this is not right. Something, <laughs> something is going down. Like I'm not playing great either. I was really, you know, came off really hot, started hot. And then slowly Poland wore me down. I gained, you know, just, I just yeah. lost, lost my, lost my panache to train. Motivation was gone.
1: Like it does slowed you down. Like it does to a lot of people.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just that, that, that Polish, that Polish wall hits you, you know, communism, I thought was still there. I thought (laughs) I was going to see, I thought I was going to see a tank roll through town and I'm trying to play professional hoops and we didn't have a weight room and you know, we had all this. So anyway, I, I'm taking this money in the appliance store and like, he, the guy's not handing me the money through the gate, you know, through, it's like a barred window and, I, and the guy's behind me and he's saying something in Polish. He goes, you, you MVP. All I hear is MVP. Like, yeah. I think he's asking me, am I going to be the MVP? And yeah. it's like, I'm like, I, I don't think I'm going to be the MVP. I'm not playing very good. I'm averaging like I went from like 18 down to 10 a game, you know, I'm like, no. Yeah. So I just, I just said, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the MVP. But I just put my hand out, like, give me the money.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and I thought this guy was like, going like, to cut my hand off with a machete or something. It was, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So you, just, you never yeah. know what's going to happen over there. They ended up giving me a fake check. My, the $6,000 check, fake check uh that was vo- already voided they already put like stop payment on it uh, so when yeah. i got it i had to leave that the next day for the airport oh i was so pissed i was but it didn't matter i was i was so happy to leave you know
1: oh yeah that they could kind of yeah exactly i was there was i think maybe one of the happiest days of my life was when i got after my rookie year is when i got on that plane
0: so to you get, kiss the earth kiss american soil
1: yep yep that's that, that was a great feeling
0: and now here we are in the middle of a covid pandemic social justice all these things going on what tell me about how you feel about america right now that's a that's a deep question many layers there
1: it's it's crazy man it, it's you know i think there's it's never been clearer that we have some huge issues right
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you know we need to take steps to you know and i think it's i think there's issues like that around the world Right. But with, you know, social media and everything and the issues are magnified times 10. And, you know, the spotlight is is definitely on us right now mm-hmm. with with everything. with social injustice with covid with with it all. And, and it's 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 amazing just to see how poorly we've handled it all and the powers that like that be and the what, whoever has handled it all compared to. You know, I, I was looking at, you know, somebody was telling me like, I, you know, trying to get to Germany. And they were like, you know, just I mean, just talking about COVID alone, like they're like, yeah, they plan to play with full fans next season. They, you know, they they have controlled this thing way better than 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 we have over yeah. here. And, you know, my whole life, especially, you know, after my first first year, I'm thinking, God, nothing, nothing is as good as 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 America is right. And you know, you see that you look back and you see that as that is, you know, the privilege I've came from. And, Mm. and, you know, I think now that that's magnified. And, you know, a lot of people see that as, you know, some people are seeing it for the first time. And, and like I said, the, the world is is watching us right now. And, and it's, it's, it's a crazy time.
0: I agree. I agree. It's like, how do you, how do you, you know, I, I, I find it so hard sometimes because, you know, I think being a white basketball player like yourself, you know, you're, you've been used to diversity, you know, I feel yeah, like you've, you've, sure. you've, if anything, you've been, you know, not a minority in the basketball culture, but you're used to playing with the black culture. You, you have friends, you know, them. So when you see the, you know, when you see the polarized, like, world we live in where progress just seems to get, you know, stomped on by, you know, by, you know, just the right or the heavy right or, or whoever, you know, you have people that come from privilege who don't, you know, necessarily have come out of their bubble or, or had that experience of, of, of being around and having that, that those friendships and those connections. And I think it's hard for sometimes, you know, for, for people to understand like this, you know, is there, this is the social rights movement of our time, you know, sure. and, and throughout history, we've, you know, I get to talk to my brother and my, my sister in law who, you know, educate me a ton on this stuff. I, I don't feel like I'm the most educated. I've really just felt like I'm trying to educate myself. And if anything, I'm just supporting, I want to support all my former, you know, black friends, black culture, black teammates and, you know, I'm donating trying to donate money to entrepreneurs, nonprofits that support, you know, the next the next, you know, black business, you know, whether it's a kid, I, I really feel like that next generation is where we have to start. So, you know, even even my training, I donate twenty percent of proceeds to I'm looking for, you know, people that I've come across or nonprofits that really invest in the next generation from, you know, minorities to education and helping them because so I think that's where it starts, and and yet our culture right now doesn't see this disparity. You know that a zip code can really change a life, can change a life, and the money that gets invested in that zip code, and the money that gets you know reallocated from police into those zip codes in a different way can really change the next generation. So we're going to keep having these disparities. You know, in my opinion, until we try to pr- change the system. And the reason everybody's so mad is because the system is obviously broken, you know it's it's yep. not working, but it's so funny because a lot I hear a lot of arguments about protests and riots, and you know we shouldn't be doing this and i'm like but but in the history of white culture, you know w- when we separated from the British colony, we fought, we did the tea party, when we yep. sep- you know in the Civil War, there was violence, but now it's like, oh we can't have any, you know, it's like we want to squash any violence now or any protest that leads to something that, you know, turns violent. And I I don't want, I'm not saying, hey, that's the way to do it. You know, I think, but it's just interesting to me that we're not supporting the progress. And we're only looking at these little, you know, granular issues of like, oh, the riot got out of, you know, riot got out of control. So I I really struggle with that. And I don't want to, I'm not educated enough to really talk about it. That's just my opinion, So
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, growing up and, you know, like you said, I, I grew up in a predominantly white community as well. And But, you know, we did have that advantage of, you know, or especially like, you know, my dad grew up playing basketball and, you know, some of his best friends are black. So I grew up with those guys being over at our house all the time, right? And he was, I had for a while, like, you know, he one of the guys felt like my second dad right so Mm -hmm. i grew up thinking you know okay that's how everybody thinks right that's how you know like i my dad always preached to me that you know you got to treat everybody as equal and and everything like that and i just thought that's how everybody thought Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and you know that's how you think when you're young and naive as everybody thinks like you do and as i grew up and as i branched out into different you know, parts of the world, and you just see how how different people think and how different people judge somebody because of the way they look or or whatever it may be. And I think you know it's 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 been crazy to me to, like you said, learn so much throughout all of this and be able to to kind of reflect on your past experiences, thinking of how you know just how. How different, you know, somebody's life can be because of where you grew up, like you said. So, yeah,
0: well, um, um, you know, thinking about the police in Europe versus the, you know, the the like, <laughs> like you, I, you, I've never gotten pulled over in Europe, so it's a terrifying thing to get pulled over, right? right? But you know, in Europe they they allocate funds completely differently. You know, the military, yeah. the 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 police. So it's just interesting, and everybody has education and healthcare there, but. You know, in, in the United States, like we, you know, a lot of money gets allocated towards certain things, and I'm like, okay, well, what's the best model? You know, what is the best model out there? If I'm if I'm a coach, who's who's coaching the best? You know, right. and who 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 is who is creating youth players and doing things at a high level where you're, you know that you just can see the competitiveness, but also the system of of, of progress, and and I think that's where you know, whether it's basketball or politics, it's just like, man, our system, we got to really take a a hard look at it because it's just not working, you know? Right. And who's created the system? Well, I got to be honest, like, I look around and, you know, and 85% of them are, you know, white male or white, you know, so, and that's okay. Like, you got to sometimes take a hard look and say, okay, but, I I always say, you know, let's not paint with broad brushes, kind of let's look at the individuals that are in power, that are making the rules and legislation and, and policies that matter. Because those are the people that we have to act upon, you know, and I think that's a hard thing. So, man, this went off in a different direction, didn't it?
2: Yeah, I sure did.
0: <laughs> JJ Mann is not going to be happy with this talk. He's going to be like, what? <laughs> He's going to come for us. But, you know, it's like I'm always compassionate towards people. You know, I know everybody comes from different backgrounds and ideologies, and I think dialogue is the most important thing. For and sure. you have, you know, when you look at our country, there literally is no dialogue between the two, you know, I'm sure, you know, the sides. And it just feels so polarized right now that sports is such a great way to connect. You know, it just. Oh,
1: they, my God. Yeah. And like, I think even just like, yeah, for sure. And even just like traveling you know and and being abroad now for two years i've learned to like or or not even that like going back to growing up playing basketball with different people like you learn how to get along with people who are different than you right you learn Mm -hmm. how to and you know that can come in a in a big picture view or it can come in a small like you learn how to get along with people who look different you look learn to get along with people who have different types of music who have a different sense of humor like you learn how to get along with and, and especially and I think that's even magnified more overseas because when you're overseas and you for me like a, y- a young single guy like I don't have any choice but to get along with the guys on my team right mm-hmm. so you learn how to I, I think it's been an eye opening experience for me you know learning how to get along with with people from different countries and different backgrounds and people who don't have the same views as you. And I think, like you said, it's so the opposite of that right now in in our country. And it's, it's, it's a tough thing to grasp. Yeah.
0: Well, man, listen, I'm gonna... We've gone over, as you per usual, uh, got, <laughs> got into a heated discussion on something I'm not even completely feel warranted to have a conversation about. But I do have an opinion. And Thanks for coming on, and just you know, tell people where they can find you on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you know. Plugs you want to put, Riley, shoot them out there. Like, like we were going to win that Final Four because I'm still convinced we would beat Charlois.
1: Yeah, I think I think we would have, but yeah, I mean, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I think I'm uh, Riley underscore lachance thirteen on Instagram and Lachance underscore thirteen on Twitter. And I don't really got too much to plug, but yeah, I appreciate you having me on and. So it's definitely a good talk.
0: Yeah, man. And again, thank you so much for coming on. And love to. I'm telling you guys, Riley's footwork is impeccable. So for (laughs) anybody out there, I literally just studied your footwork this year. Like it was like I learned more about footwork watching you uh, drill and do different things. And it's change. You know, it's always changing. You know, you watch. Don't watch the footwork. And but congrats on you know one making a great comeback this season when you were a joy to joy to coach and sorry I didn't have a bit more experience to to lead the charge into a championship like i I wanted but you know it's i love to be honest I love the development side more i love working with kids I love you know helping that the next generation kind of figure out the how they're gonna get you know from point a to point b so I really sure. thanks for coming on man
1: yeah thanks thanks a lot i appreciate it and you know, you you were definitely a, a, a joy to play for as well. So, I, I appreciate it.
0: That is a miracle. Everyone. Did you hear that? <laughs> that's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna that's gonna be my the motto for Huffman basketball. Everything I do, I was a joy right. to play for. In yep, quotation,
1: you can, you can <laughs> quote me on it.
0: <laughs> All right, man. Well, have a great uh, time in Wisconsin. Be safe, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Thrive.